1: The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. Draw it out and cabin. Discover the all-new Renault Arcana at Blackstone Motors that comes with a five-year warranty. Call us now to arrange a test drive or visit blackstonemotors.ie for more details.
2: You're very welcome along to The Late Lunch here on LMFM. I'm Alison Riley, signing in for Jerry Kelly. Just for today, uh, do get in touch with us. We're here until half past three. The number, as always, is... You can text or WhatsApp us or you can email us at info at lmfm.ie and we'll take your calls as well 041983-2000 Now coming up on today's show Grieving for the Living One mother with a child with disabilities will talk about the process that parents go through in missing the child they were expecting Uh, and these guys have been receiving a lot of negative publicity in the past year in particular but we're going to be hearing about how important bats are Do you have bats Bats. Do you like bats? Are you scared of bats? They're very, very important to the environment. And um, So Sad has opened a new office in Kells, and we'll be hearing about that as well as an important seminar coming up about bereavement for suicide. And you will be hearing about the devastation caused by a break-in at the men's shed in Tully Allen, where and that's really all I can say is thugs left them with nothing nothing imagine Uh, these men's sheds are so important to a lot of people around the country and they're so so popular but to hear that one has been broken into is just disgusting and container homes are the new trend would you live in one do you already have one let us know 086 1800 658 as I said we'll be here until half past three and we'd love to hear from you but first, uh, we've a very determined mother on the line to tell us about her fight to get her daughter Willow, who suffers with severe disabilities, an education. And I'd like to welcome Tracy Kelly to the Late Lunch. How are you, Tracy? Hi, how are you, Tracy? Carol, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> Carol, sorry. It's You're great okay? to have you. It's great to have you on the show. No problem. Um, you've written this powerful story about uh, grieving for the living about your child. Um, a, quite a brave thing to write. Yeah,
3: I suppose I had to go through the process myself to actually understand that 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 is what we were going through because nobody talks about it. No. Um, For everything that we go through and, you know, Willow suffered a brain injury at birth so this is not what we expected. We thought we were going to bring home our little girl and her older brother was so excited about having a little sister and we would all these plans made and three days in we were bringing her home planning her funeral and... Taken her coffin, and I'm holding this child, thinking, Jesus Christ, like you know how how do I even get up tomorrow? How do I you know get on with with life and so you're you're in the motions and and you're moving and you're you know you're just taking one day at a time, and then, as things progressed, you know, we brought Willow home and we fought battle after battle with her health and mm-hmm. her conditions, and you know any parent with a child with disability will tell you everything with regard to their life and their quality of life and their education needs and their service needs is a battle. So it's a continuous battle.
4: Yeah.
3: Um, and then I spent the first year, you know, in complete denial of, you know, I'm going to make sure that this is not what they say it mm-hmm, is.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: And they said that she'd never be able to feed. And I was I was so lucky to be able to breastfeed Willow for two years in a month. Oh, wow.
2: Yeah, because they always say that's quite difficult. Yeah.
3: Yeah, so she, they, they said she's no gag, um, no suck um, and all that sort of stuff and that she would be NG fed and then we'd go on to a peg. Now, she is peg fed now. Mm-hmm. So you're just dealing with everything that's coming yeah. at you and you've got all your appointments and you have your neurology and everything. So you're just going with emotions. But then all of a sudden, you know, you're just starting to break. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're not really aware that this is happening because how can you grieve someone who's in your arms? Yes, you know, yeah. But you're getting up every day to look after. I mean, how can you grieve someone who's there before you? You know, it doesn't make sense, and you don't understand that this is what happened because nobody is talking about it. And I suppose there's a shame around it and a sense of guilt because so many people would say to me, "Pranch, oh, you're so lucky you still have her." And at the time, I'm kind of looking at them going, "You have no idea how I feel.
5: Yeah,
3: I am just so broken." I'm a shell. I, I'm I'm just empty. I'm, I felt soulless, like I was just not here anymore. It was just my body carrying me along. Her little brother, you know, he, he, I watched him struggle. I watched my husband struggle and all of the while feeling so guilty that I had created all of this, that this was my fault.
2: Now, why do you With- think that?
3: well, I mean, I carried her in my womb and it was a birth injury. Now I know now it's not my fault, but you're you're going through the motions. Mm-hmm. And these are all the steps of grief, but they don't make sense at the time no. until you come the other side of it and you look back and you say, oh, right, OK. You know, I remember um, John's sisters bought us tickets to the lights in the zoo, the zoo lights. Yes. And I remember going to that and I just and walk, I was just exhausted mm. and just I just wanted to get out of there. Now anyone that know me will, will tell you like I'm always on the go. Mm. I could walk for miles and they'd ring me and say, are uh, you coming home or Anne Riley or Jack and Jill Liaison I say to everyone, Oh, Tracy, she's got cancer, and a band, she can't sit still but I just hadn't the energy. And you're so angry. Oh my God, you're consumed with anger and everybody is just against you and nobody wants to help you and people will say to you, well, how are you? And you're looking at them going, well, I know you don't really care because you're just consumed with this anger. Mm. But the whole time you still have your daughter. And, you know, as Willow got older, we started to see her personality. And then one day it just sort of all changed. And I suppose I came to that level of acceptance. And I made a decision then that, you know what? I'm going to do everything in my power to give her the life that she deserves. Because the first thing that Willow is, is a child. Mm -hmm. She's not a diagnosis. And yes, our life is different and it's diverse and we have challenges. But she's here and she's alive. She's here for a reason,
2: Tracy. She's here for a reason.
3: Well, I can tell you now that um, I suppose grief is like a, a dormant volcano. You've got trauma through your life and by God, I could write a book. And they're always just there below the surface. Mm -hmm. So when you are in grief, it's like all these fissures open and everything just comes spewing out like hot lava. So everything is hitting you, hitting you, hitting you. And that's the one thing I'll say about having willow She's changed me as in I am now a better person for having Willow and I see things so differently. You know, I see the simplicity in life and the joy in the simple things and that life is just about living and And being in love. I think,
2: you know, I think this is a really important topic because, you know, uh, it's a kind of a world that people don't really know about unless they've experienced it. Um, Just in relation to Willow, what happened at birth? Was she premature?
3: No, well she was just two weeks early um, so I had a placenta abruption. Nice. So instead of me losing blood it was Willow and then just unfortunate things happened afterwards and things just progressed to the stage where they deemed her um, really just her, her injury was so severe that, that she wasn't going to survive. Mm. Um, when she was two days old they that was the first time I got to hold her. They turned off her life support um, and she stopped breathing and then she started
2: breathing again and then she never went anywhere. What a little so fighter. I mean, what oh, a little like fighter. Fa- well, that says, that's, says an awful lot about her personality. She's, She's quite a determined, so little woman.
3: Yeah. And you know what, like, I genuinely, people say God only gives, you know, children like this. I don't believe that. But I do believe that Willow was given to me for, for another reason. Um but as you said, this is a topic that people don't talk mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it's something that really needs to be spoken about. And not just for parents like me. You know, there's there's adults who are now looking after their parents um who are suffering maybe with dementia and Alzheimer's. So they're grieving the loss of their parent as as they were mm-hmm. and now they're caring for them. You know, so there's grief in that as well. Of course. And this is something that's probably not understood and it's something that really should be discussed and that people should be supported in because it's it's very different to grieve someone who you've lost because eventually, you know, you move on and that person is no longer in your life, but you can live their memories and you can talk about them and you can look at photographs. But when the person is in your life and you're grieving someone you're looking at... Mm you know, how can you make sense of that?
2: Yeah, no, that's, you know, that is very, very challenging. It's a very difficult thing. I had a, a, a very sick foster child uh, a while ago with uh, disabilities and I do understand what you mean in terms of the challenges and the adrenaline and you are just expected to, to do it all and um Um, And you're afraid to say something, aren't you? You're kind of afraid to say anything because you have this child in your arms. They have to be looked after. And particularly as a foster parent, well, that's your job to mind them, you know. But at at the same point, I felt, you know, it was devastating for the child. Just devastating. But I always had huge hope for the child because I I said this child will be something because the the serious determination of that child, you know. And Willow sounds like that too. Quite robust
3: well, she definitely takes after me. I think, so. skinny, I think so. I think so. She's gonna be five on the first of December. I mean, I can't believe we're we're at this. And I honest to God, if you met Willow, she has the most beautiful face and I think it's actually her inner beauty
6: that
2: yeah.
3: radiates out of her. She's she's innocent. She's never gonna to have to experience all those other challenges in life I think you're you're right right. I
2: think that's a really good point yeah and I've I've learned so much about children with disabilities now and I've such a huge appreciation for the just the angelic creatures that they are and how important they are and how precious they are and it's a really really important topic and I'm really glad you came on because I do understand what you're talking about and because you want more for them but you have to go through all of this acceptance of who they are and where they're at and right now you're battling for education for Willow? Yes, um, well, we have started in the
3: local Montessori, so we couldn't get our nurse support hours, so that's still ongoing. Um, so I take Willow into the Montessori, which is a mainstream Montessori, which is attached to Noah's um, school, her brother. Um, it's unbelievable that how the kids just accept and adapt. Because yeah, they do. They do. They're open books, mm-hmm, you know, the, yeah. and this is where inclusion, I think, needs to begin at those formative years, mm-hmm. and that's all children should be educated together because, you know, people aren't ignorant by choice. They're ignorant out of fear yeah. and lack of education. You know, you you often see older people kind of look at Willow and they don't know what to say or, or do. And I'm really open. Anyone mm-hmm. can talk to me, you mm-hmm. know. Um, I'm really proud of both of my children in their own unique way. I mean, everybody knows Noah well, like he's just. So out there he's great, and he's brilliant with Willow, and you say this is my Sister Willow, she has the needs, and uh, you want to see the tube in her belly says so she's pegged Fred, and yeah. he just really puts it to them yeah', he's got oh, yeah. like yeah. So straight up, this is her yeah, and he doesn't see anything wrong with that you know, yeah. but how the children adapted to play with Willow and how they accepted her, and I mean one little boy told his mum last week that it wasn't a good day because Willow hadn't been in oh Oh my god when I heard that you know
2: yeah but you see as well it's the other children that will bring Willow on too you know oh absolutely yeah and she will thrive in
3: that environment more than an environment of a special needs classroom because she has visual visual impairment so she's very much reliant on sound so she picks up on the energy of children and you know their voices and she'll recognise people no problem and, of course, she'd learned to say one thing, which is Dada. Oh, great. Uh, great. Yeah,
7: Good great.
3: girl. Oh, yeah. that's fantastic. She was not mama. But anyway, we'll take that. <laughs> no, dads <in. laughs> always come
2: first, don't they, with that stuff? Yeah.
3: But even the bonds that was formed over COVID with John and Willow, and mm. that's a stolen time that we really cherish. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're used to that restrictive lifestyle anyway, but we had John home for a whole 10 weeks. And it was the best time ever. They just created such a beautiful bond together because for me it was different. I was breastfeeding Willow. And because her abilities are very limited, you know, there was no
8: Mm.
3: play or, you know, other ways to connect at that time. So it was very hard for John, you know, trying to understand all her medications and, you know, all the complications with her cerebral palsy. Um, You know, sometimes it's it's very hard when you're not that 24-7 carer. And... Again,
2: John. But he was—he wasn't too. long learning, says you. No, well, do you know what?
3: <laughs> the, the last year has really changed yeah. everything for for everybody. But um, I mean, John was grieving too, and of I remember looking at him one day, going, "I have no idea how he's feeling, and he has no idea how I'm feeling." So I cannot express anything to him to help him because I really don't know. How he's feeling, if that makes sense, because neither of yeah, we were
2: grieving. Yeah, you know? you have to go to go through it all together, you know. And uh, grief, uh, d- like just it just manifests itself in its own way, doesn't it? But yeah, Tracy, you you're know. you're battling for school at the moment, so will you come back and tell us how that's going on uh, in time yeah. and we'll see how Willow's yeah. doing? Brilliant. Yes, we will. And thank
3: you very
2: much for your time. <laughs> oh no, thanks for your time, and it's great to hear about your lovely family and give Willow our best, won't you? And the rest of the I clan will. as well, of course. Okay, great. Thanks, thanks a million. Brilliant. That's Tracy Carroll right. there. Uh, talking about a very important topic there about grieving the living uh, she's special needs child Willow um, and uh, you know she's learned she's, the acceptance is there now and life goes on and uh, she's doing a fantastic job uh, we'll take a break and we'll be back after this Louise Walsh has got some fantastic news to let uh, all the late lunch
6: listeners know about we have. We actually won gold at the Imro Awards on Friday night. Yay! Radio moment of the year. Fantastic. Um, we're still beaming and Jerry is still missing in action.
2: <laughs> He'll be back tomorrow. <laughs> he took the day off to party, did he? He did, yeah. <laughs> Monday's not a good day for partying though.
6: Well, I don't think he stopped partying oh, since Friday night. It's fantastic. So you got the it's gold. Great. We got the gold award, yeah. We were up against... Um, a very tough lineup. But you sure we did were. It. You sure were. And uh, what was the story that you won for? Um, it was very. If seen regular listeners would have remember last November when um, a caller came on to Late Lunch with um, a very impassioned plea to find the lady who saved her life. This caller had um, said goodbye to her kids on a Sunday morning and driven to um, an overpass on the motorway and was going to take her life. Uh, only for this lady, this other lady, uh, Bromwin. She was an Australian lady and she was driving to a house that um, she was working on. She'd just bought and herself and her husband were doing up and she was coming down from Dublin and just driving past and she noticed um, the lady at the bridge and kind of drove past and thought, what's happening? If I don't do anything here, I, I'll never forgive myself. So she turned the car around, came back, ran to the bridge and just... Held the lady just in time, and I suppose if you want to have a listen, Alison, Jerry has uh, left a lovely clip that to play here. So,
1: and you just literally wrapped your arms around her and pulled her back, and uh, she, you heard her saying there in the interview on Friday that you held her tightly.
9: Yeah, it, I did. I um, I was very conscious that she was obviously in a very distressed state. Um, so I, I just pulled her to the ground, I just held her um, with, with one arm and there were some other people further down the road and I just was waving at them. I didn't want to shout to you know, make the situation worse, um, but I could see these other people and as I was waving to them to come and help, uh, her sister pulled up and, uh, and was able to take control of the situation.
1: So at that stage, she, she said you stepped back. Did you did you have any words? Can you remember?
9: Uh, no, no, I just I remember her sister and her partner, I was seen as a partner, um, you know, scooping her up. Um, and I just got back in my car and turned around and went to where I was originally supposed to be going.
1: My, oh, my, this is some story. And you just... Slipped into the background, and you've been in the background ever since the first of November. Were you ever curious to think of who was this woman? What's the story? Did that ever cross your mind in the week since?
9: Every weekend, when I go to the house, it's the first thing I think of. Um, as soon as I hit the motorway, um, you know, as I'm. Because I assumed it's somebody in my new community that I'm going to be moving to. And so, yeah, it's been a constant um, source of concerned whether or not this person was able to get the help that they need, um, whether I would ever see them again. So, you know, when I saw the story, obviously I was very um, nervous about coming forward because you don't know the circumstances behind these situations. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm very pleased to know that she's now received the help that, she's, that, she, that she needs
1: and that she's getting the support. Did you tell anybody about it? You told your husband, I'm sure, but did you talk... You obviously didn't talk to many other people about this.
9: No, I I, I, um, told my mother and my sister who are back in Australia. um, I mentioned it to my boss, who's in Dublin. Mm. Um, But, no, we don't... uh, Because I'm not from a local community, I don't have a lot of friends or local connections, and obviously with COVID... We don't have a lot of social interactions at the moment. So it wasn't something I felt the need to tell other people. Um, So, no, it's just a very, very limited group of people Mm. who understood what had happened.
1: Well, that's uh, very understandable. And... You know, something like this does leave its mark and in your thoughts, as you said there regularly. And a small group, of course, and the current situation meant that not many knew about this. But thank God you picked it up from our social media and here you are with me today. We'll just stay there for a moment because on the other line, I have the lady you saved. Hello again.
10: Hello, Hello how
1: are you? I'm really good. How are you?
10: I'm very emotional.
1: Oh, I'm sure you are. Do you want to say hello to Bronwyn? She's there.
10: Bronwyn, how are you? I'm great, thank you. It's so lovely to hear your voice. I'm so, so grateful. I I just can't thank you enough for saving me that day and giving my kids their man back and my partner and my parents. I just want to thank you so much. Thank you for coming across me and thank you for saving me. That's quite
9: okay. I'm sure anybody in the same situation would have done the same thing. I'm just glad I was there
10: at that point in time. Thank you so much. I can never thank you enough. I can actually never thank you enough. I just lost words. I'm so emotional. I'm just so grateful that I've I've gotten in touch with you. And I've got this opportunity to thank you so much.
1: It's my pleasure. You can tell, Bronwyn, you have received the help, haven't you? You're in a far better I place. I have
10: indeed. I'm in an absolutely fantastic place now at this moment in time and continuing receiving help of the services out there and of my family, my parents especially. That's great to hear. So you... sorry, Bronwyn, for putting you in that predicament for you having to come across me, because I know I'm sure it's stuck in your head as well and I, I do apologise for, for that also.
9: There's no need to apologise at all. Everybody goes through their dark periods, and I'm just glad I was there on the day.
6: It's very, very emotional, and that I is wish extraordinary. The two ladies, the very best.
2: yes yeah. very, very powerful stuff. Wow! Well done. I'm not surprised you won. That was an amazing story to get because. To go from something so devastating to something so positive, you can hear how positive she is. Yeah, and just good to know that she was getting the help that she needed. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's really important that it's its just getting past that 24 hours or that hour, mm. that five minutes, um, that she could have lost her life in that time. She felt so... Hopeless and desperate. Yeah, 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 I mean, yeah, to to feel she had to do that and didn't do it, only for Bronwyn the Angel. Saved by an angel.
6: Saved by an angel.
2: Absolutely fantastic and well-deserved. A powerful piece of radio and uh, wish the best of luck to both women.
6: Yes, absolutely.
2: And and just um,
6: before we go into... The use it too. Just I'd like to also say and I know Gerry will probably say it again tomorrow. Uh, huge congrats to our own Sinead Brazzle, who was also nominated um, at the awards and Peter Dunn he won a silver um, and Sarah McCann and her documentary she was nominated for as well. So well done to all well you guys. Well
2: done to LMFM who yeah, did brilliant at absolutely. the end
6: Fantastic. And thanks to everybody for all the messages of support all through um,
2: the weekend and um the boss man, Eamon Doyle for letting us do what we do absolutely and, and Deirdre and Kells is on to say congrats to Jerry Kelly and Louise Walsh on LMFM Radio on winning gold at the Imro Awards on his late lunch delighted and well deserved a great show absolutely well deserved that's an extraordinary piece of radio it really is absolutely yeah. no well done and uh, yeah to all your listeners as well who, who tune in every day to hear these powerful stories well mm-hmm. done we'll take some news and sports it's on the way you're very welcome back to The Late Lunch here on LMFM. Do get in touch with us. The text or WhatsApp number as always is 086-1800-658 or you can email us at info at lmfm.ie. Now, Professor of Biology and Environment Science in UCD, Emma Teeling is on the line to tell us about bats. Emma, you're very welcome to The Late Lunch. How are you? Good, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. I mean, bats now are something that will generally make people go, oh, no, I don't know about that. Oh, Halloween, scary, bad reputation. We think of COVID, we think of Dracula, we think horrible things. Why did you get involved with bats?
7: Well, really, um, as far as I'm concerned, they are probably the most fascinating of all mammals. So in case our listeners didn't know, One in five of every living mammal on this planet today is actually a bat. They live absolutely everywhere. They're only missing from the extreme polar regions. So there's 1,400 different types of bat species, but they're really unique because they've evolved very, very unusual traits for mammals. So they're the only mammals that can actually fly. All of the mammals, they would just fall with style. They can't actually fly. So flight is an extraordinary form of locomotion and the bats have evolved that. They also live for an extraordinarily long time given their body size. So if you're to correct for body sizes, bats would live to the equivalent of about 250 years without showing any signs of aging or cancer or getting sick. And so the aging record for humans, bats have nearly doubled that. They also are able to live with and tolerate lots of different viruses. So they seem to have evolved a very unique immune response that allows them not get sick when they're infected with viruses, such as the likes of COVID-19. So again, if you study bats, you'll understand how we can live healthier longer, how we can dampen and slow down cancer progression. We'll also learn how we can live with different viruses. What was the innate immune response? It allows bats not to succumb to the virus, nor succumb to their own very aggressive antiviral response. So what's killing people, what have killed COVID-19 patients, was their own immune response, their own sepsis, their own aggressive antiviral response, was the end what succumbed and many people to not doing so well. So they do all those things. Wow. They can also... They also see, they basically also use hearing to fly in complete darkness. So they use sound to orient. And maybe some of the most important things that we kind of overlook is that our ecosystems, our agriculture, for example, works because of bats. So they're keystone predators. So bats, what all the Irish bats here, they feed on insects and they feed on arthropods and they feed on pests of our crops. They feed on pests that would bite our wildlife livestock. They also feed on they would uh, feed on pests that would bite us. So they basically are involved in modulating our ecosystems and allowing them to function correctly. So bats are as important
2: as bees. So if you remove them we're going to be in a lot of trouble. You see this is... They're just
7: some of the reasons.
2: Yeah, I mean it's it's fascinating because I know before I I met you and spoke to you that I had this terrible idea of bats and now I realise... Just, and and you've laid it out there, how important these creatures are, uh, not just to our environment, but also for science, for for the work that you do. Are they endangered, Emma?
7: Yes. So, unfortunately, as humans are taking over the world, um, like many of our species, they are endangered. And so all of the Irish bats are nine species of resident bats. They're all protected. So you can't touch them. You can't kill them, you can't remove them without all the appropriate licenses. They're protected all across Europe. Um, and there are certain species that are unfortunately going extinct. Some species, such as the M. balanur sessia small little bass se- uh, on the Seychelles, I think there's only 30 individuals left. So they are threatened. So we have to be careful.
2: And what can we do to help them?
7: Well, if you think about it, first of all, we need to make sure that they have food. So that's our insects. And so what we have to make sure is to reduce the use of insecticides, to pay attention to our arthropod and vertebrate biodiversity. So we're running a project at the moment whereby we're trying to work out the ecosystem services that bats provide. What are the insects that they feed on? What insects do we need to have to allow bats to feed on for our e- or for our ecosystems to function? By taking bat poop and sequencing all of the different um species-specific DNA you find in the poop from the, the insects the bats have eaten. And what you need to do is you need to, first of all, make sure that they have food, uh, make sure that they have a place to live, so they have habitats, they have trees. I mean, in Ireland, a lot of our bats roost under bridges or in old farmhouses and they roost in buildings Now, potentially this is because all of our trees got cut down. Um, uh, or they will make roost in some cave-like situation. So we need to make sure they've got places to live. You can put up bat boxes. That seems to also work. Work with Bat Conservation Ireland. They'll let you know how you put these little small boxes with lots and lots of these little slits underneath them where you can have hundreds and hundreds of bats living in them. Um, they're the things that you need to do. And also you need to just think about you're know, looking around and why is it important to protect these species? You must protect the landscape, protect the things they feed on, give them places they can forage in.
2: And the work that you do is incredible, Emma. I mean, you are working on project after project in relation to these species, aren't you, in UCD? Yes. Yes. I'm very lucky. You are. And um, you, you work with loads of places from across, like across the world. You're in touch with everybody. I think
7: really, science has become so unbelievably international to be able to answer the questions. I mean, look at the response of getting a vaccine out mm-hmm. so quickly. Yeah, that's because we're now able to all work together and different people from different parts of the world have, have different approaches. But um, I suppose the, the the main project I'm doing at the moment is actually kind of just two two main projects we're doing at the moment. First of all, we're trying to understand what have bats evolved? What are the molecular mechanisms, the basis that allows bats slow down aging and fight disease and it's been a, a long a bit we've been studying these long-lived bats in france with a bunch of researchers totally cool field biologists that i have a good opportunity to work with whereby we've been catching uh all of this population every summer in france and um, they've been caught as babies they had these little microchips put on them like you put in a dog or a cat they were weighed measured they were released and every year we catch them And so we know how old these individuals are because we're able to look at the microchip and say, well, that individual was caught as a baby in 2010. We're now catching them in 2021. So that individual is 11 years of age. Um, And this is really important because it's nearly impossible to age bats because once they have fledged and they are a year and sometimes even faster, Their finger bones have all fused. And the only way you can age a bat truly by looking at it is to look at whether or not the finger bones have fused. If they're not fused, the bat's under one. If they are fused, the bat's over one. But that bat could be 31, 41, you don't actually know. So we're lucky that we're working with this grassroots organization called Bertanie Vivant Conservation Organization, studying these bats. And what that means is that we catch them every single year, the same individuals. We take a little bit of wing, a little bit of blood, non-lethal samples. It's taken, all of us have permits, we work with our vets, and we take these samples back to my lab. And in the lab, we developed different molecular assays to allow us to look at biomarkers of aging. So we say, well, biologically, how do bats age? What changes? Do they age the same way way we do, or have they evolved something very different? And when we do this, we find that extraordinary things, So bats protect their DNA. That's something very, very important. So bats have a very, very high metabolic rate because they fly. So think of a car, think of an engine. So a Ferrari will burn faster than something a bit more slow. And there's lots of byproducts of the engine, such as these emissions. So this is what happens also in metabolism. You get these byproducts of a high metabolic rate. These byproducts break up your DNA. They cause you to age. They overexcite your immune system. That drives aging even further. So bats seem to evolve mechanisms to really protect their DNA as their age. So the protective caps at the ends of their chromosomes, these things called telomeres, do not shorten with age in bats. They shorten in us and and, and most other species. That was one unique protective mechanism. We also found by sequencing all the genes in young, middle-aged, and older bats, that as they age, they increase their ability to repair their DNA. We decrease our ability to repair their DNA, and potentially this is why there's a much higher rate of cancer as you age. You can't repair the damage. The damage drives mutations that causes a cell to become cancerous. But bats repair this. They also remove cellular damage. Again, as you age, just living, Causes damage essentially. They're
2: able to remove this damage. That bit is extraordinary. They just repair as they go.
7: Pretty much, they got a great big broom.
2: (laughs) I think that's incredible. Like super bats, as they are, but like they just repair as they go. And they are constantly, like, you carrying viruses and and causing all this damage to their body, but they're just okay. but the, the, the idea with the, with the viruses. so the question is, well,
7: okay, so the, all this DNA repair and removing mm-hmm. damage and mm-hmm. telomeres, people always, they already knew this was something that when you study the aging process, you know these are the things that break down as you age and these might be the things mm-hmm. you have to fix. Mm-hmm. But what was unusual about the bats is that, all right, they seem to, so when you look within their genomes, because the other project I'm doing is you want to sequence all the genomes of every living bat species to uncover these mechanisms. But what you'll find is, is, and um, bats are missing a whole suite of genes that's required from this anti for, a, it's called an inflammatory response of your immune system. So they're missing these fine genes. So when you go look at the bat genome, you'll find, right, they're missing a bunch of genes that all other mammals have, including us, that allows us to mount this aggressive inflammatory response towards a pathogen. But and you're like, well, how is that possible? Well, how, how can they possibly fight a virus? Then you actually look more closely. Also, we were able to look at immune cells with Luke O'Neill, actually, mm-hmm. in his lab. Look at bat macrophages. And we worked out, well, okay, what bats do is they make this really, really, really heightened aggressive antiviral response. When you initially stimulate an immune response with, in, in bat uh, macrophage immune cells. What they do that's different to us and different to mice, that they very quickly dampen that with an equally aggressive anti-inflammatory response. So it looks like there's two things they're able to do. They're able to quickly neutralize a virus and then even more quickly neutralize their own immune response. And when you look within the genome, you think, well, how is that possible if they're missing these inflammatory genes? Well, they have these other genes, these antiviral genes, switched on all of the time. So they're constantly in this heightened state of, right, viruses are not going to be tolerated. But they seem to be able to dampen this with this equally aggressive anti-inflammatory response. So I kind of think to sum, sum up this result, they're very good at maintaining a thing called immune homeostasis. So they're able to get the balance right all of the time. So they put on the throttle really fast, or should they, 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 they put on the antiviral response really quickly, but mm-hmm. then they very quickly... Throttle it, and if you think about, is this any of use with COVID nineteen patients, for example? Just because this is the virus mm-hmm. we're dealing with right now, um, think about all of the drugs that the companies were working with to try and have a b- bit more of a positive outcome. So typically, they would try and dampen this, ion, this, this initial anti-aggressive, uh, very aggressive antiviral response in patients, and the the, the idea of You put put the antivirals in for a while, but then you have to put in the anti-inflammatories in as well. So Severe or this IL-6, IL-10 adjuvant response. These are the drugs that people were using. And what they were using in Bowman, and I was really struck by this. If they wanted to try and ascertain whether or not a patient was going to be put on a ventilator, they looked at the ratio of this IL-6, to IL-10. So IL-6 is an um, an antiviral cytokine, right? an immune response. IL-10 is this anti-inflammatory immune response. And if the ratio of the antiviral to anti-inflammatory response was more like a bat, so you had more anti-inflammatory to antiviral, this patient was probably not going to need a ventilator. If it was the other way around, they were. And this just made me realize that bats have naturally evolved this remedy, this immune response to be able to tolerate a liver pathogen. So therefore studying how these bats, how does their immune response develop over the course of an infection can give us insights into how we should drug ourselves with antiviral versus anti-inflammatory drugs to help us have a better outcome. Wow. And, And I think this is really, really, really important Because vaccines are brilliant, and it's what you need. It's what allows you change. It's going to change the course of this entire pandemic. We are very lucky that we've gotten these vaccines.
2: Wow, that's that's we don't know.
7: We don't know what other viruses are out there, and so if you can somehow modulate your immune response to deal with any other viruses by studying the math, I think this is even more powerful tool of how we can deal with infection.
2: Oh, fantastic stuff, Emma. So we can read about all your projects on your website. Well, the UCD website, the School of Biology and Environment Science. I'm I'm sure there's plenty of information I'm, there.
7: Yeah, Look them up or look up uh, Emma Teeling, Google Scholar to list all of the, the papers. Brilliant. Or my website, Batlab.
2: Batlab, your website. Thank you so much for joining us, Emma. That's uh, Professor Emma Teeling from the School of Biology and Environment Science at UCD with fascinating news and information about bats and how important they are. Thanks for joining us, Emma. We'll take a break and we'll be back after this. But first we want to talk about suicide and the impact that it has on the loved ones left behind as well as a very important uh, seminar coming up on bereavement from suicide and to talk to us about this we've got Michael Keelan on the line and Marie Johnson. You're very welcome along to the late, late, the late, the late lunch show. I'm really sorry I'm tripping over my words I forgot my glasses today. Uh, you're very welcome along. How are you both?
11: I'm well. Thank you. And thank you for inviting
2: me. No problem at all. Um, I'll start with you, Marie, first. Uh, you work with SoSAD and you have new offices, new outreach uh, unit opening today.
11: That's right. Actually, um, our CELS outreach um, centre opened today for the first time and will be open three days a week.
2: And um, it's such a hugely important service to have
11: it is and the numbers have been growing um, across the board so we're really out the door trying to get everybody sorted with counselling as soon as possible. So this has hopefully has opened up the service to a lot of other people not just the people of Cells but for areas like Old Castles Part of South um, Cavan, and that that now would be able to avail of our
2: services. And that badly needed this, those services. Yes,
11: yes. Um, as, as of last Friday you know the Navan and NAB office here has 191 clients. That was
2: 191 clients? One. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That's huge. And, and uh, Marie is this a service that you receive funding for or is it solely reliable on uh, donations from the public?
11: okay um it's okay we did get co- some some funding during covid
8: mm. um
11: but normally no we don't get funding most of our income comes from the fundraising that um the general public do and without them so sad would not be here my goodness and um and it is their service and that's really really important and i think we have to make sure that we um, provide as good a service as we possibly can, and uh, a I'll waiting bring list with other groups. For, you know, if you go to HSC, so it's a long waiting list.
2: Yeah, no, it's a huge waiting list. Uh, I'll bring Michael Keelan in there. Michael, you're very welcome along to the late lunch. How are you? Doing
8: good, Alison. Thanks for having me on.
2: I think it's uh, really important, isn't it, for people to uh, talk about bereavement uh, from suicide? It is a huge thing that uh, there's still a huge stigma around.
8: There is, yeah. It, it, like, like Marie was saying, you know, it is very important to talk about it and not be afraid to talk about it. Mm. Like a lot of people are not. there's uh, that kind of stigma about suicide and mental health still around? It's very important to keep talking.
2: Yeah, it there really is. I mean, there were people are just so, uh, there's terrible shame involved, you know, they ended their own life. But I mean, there's a huge trauma there before something like that even happens.
8: There is indeed. There is indeed, and, and I'm heartened to see, like that, that the younger the generations, they seem to be more open and speaking about their own mental health yeah. and how they feel. So, it's heartening to feel that that's up and coming, you know, within the society itself. So, hopefully, that is changing.
2: Yes, and uh, Marie, you yourself have been affected by suicide. You lost your son.
11: That's right. I lost my son Brian when he was 17 years of age in 2008 to suicide. And as a result of that, one in a couple of months, I got involved with um, so and um, Basically, opened the, the first uh, premises here in Navan. Uh, that was two thousand and nine.
2: My goodness, um, Marie, that's that is desperate. I mean, seventeen years of age. Was he your only child?
11: No, I have two others. I've two older sisters and a younger brother.
2: And do you know what what was going on with Brian? Do you do you understand um, what happened to him?
11: No. Um, If I was to be quite honest with it, um, I did do what you're supposed to do. Um, I did go to the doctors and I did do those types of things. Basically what ended up happening, there was a disagreement between at that time, um, the youth services, I don't know what they were called, cons and adult mental health services over who would take him. Um, He died six weeks before his 18th birthday. Nobody took him. Kind of the argument was that we can be seen when he's 18. But I had gone originally to them when he was about 12. And um, I just found, it was just very dismissive. And um, I just felt at times that I was beating my head against a brick wall. Mm. And at that particular time, I spent one day, about two, two and a half weeks before he died, where I went to his doctor at the hospital to contact his social services, begging for somebody to help me. And I had it in my head that if I just had a safe place for him, then I could get the help to come to him. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest problems I realized at the time was nobody really listens. You know, um, you go to doctors, you go to people. I I don't know whether people are just too busy or what, but they don't actually listen. And I remember when, that was the one thing when he died, I kept saying, if only somebody would just listen Mm -hmm. and listen properly.
2: then maybe
11: we can walk away. So that's why the whole so sad thing for me came about. And I hadn't a clue what I was doing. But the most important thing was to allow people to verbalise what they were saying. And, And then we can see how we can get the right help and
2: stuff like that. And I'm not making excuses for the services because we're very poor with mental health services, but particularly with young people the same age as your son, Brian, who T- died by suicide, which is so terribly sad for for all of you, Marie. Um, I suppose in and around that time, and as I said, it, you know the services aren't aren't great still today, but they are improving. Guess, they seem to dismiss children quite uh, in particular. Um,
11: they're doing the best they can with mm. the, I suppose, the funding and stuff that they do have, but there's a lot of gaps in the area. Mm. Um, we I've noticed a big increase in calls from parents particularly across the board from kind of the twelve years of age up to fifty secondary school or that type of thing or children that have, mm-hmm. you know, gone from the secondary school in, or sorry, primary school and secondary school. Uh, we noticed during COVID. See a lot of them didn't get the normal things that happened in life. That was the normal finishing up with your sixth class mm-hmm. and all the mm-hmm. things they would do. Mm-hmm. They didn't get to start uh, the normal way with their class when they went to the first year. Um and it's difficult at that age anyway because a lot of young people are both becoming into the teenagers and stuff, and they're still kind of children and you know, and one minute and this even happens for the older teenagers, you mm-hmm. know, where um there are times yes they want to be treated like grown up and an adult and everything else, but there are times they still want to be that kid.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
11: I, I find particularly younger teenagers I find it difficult sometimes like that to get someone to actually really listen to them and also to listen without judgment or you know button in and saying yeah but whatever Mm. Um, that we really really need to listen and often they don't have the language I think to explain Mm. how
2: they're feeling I think you're right the the words are very important because words hurt and words heal Michael I'll bring you back in there you're a Samaritan here in Drogheda one of the yeah, volunteers,
8: the local branch in Samaritan.
2: and I suppose that the types of calls you get uh, a lot of it, I'm sure, would be mental health and suicide and that isolation.
8: Yeah, very much so. Like a lot of the calls would be down to loneliness and isolation, especially during recent COVID times. Mm. Um, but yeah, we we do get some suicide calls also.
2: And uh, and I mean, you're there to listen. Just explain to our, our our listeners what the role of the Samaritans are and how important they are.
8: Well, basically, at Smartens, we kind of, our mission is that fewer die by suicide itself. Um, but we always find that the person themselves are their own expert in their own way. They are themselves. So we just allow them, we give them the, the listening ear to let them to explore their own feelings and come to their own decisions. Because, you know yourself, if you give somebody mm. a piece of advice or whatever, they're less likely to heed it. But if you let them explore their own issue, mm-hmm. they're more likely to follow their own advice, you know?
2: yes yeah it's really just opening the conversation and giving them a safe space to talk
8: just exactly safe space no not no judgment no kind of at all just let them have the free space to speak and just divulge their own information itself their own feeling
2: and there's no uh, time limit on these calls is there
8: of course there's not no the call is there we're there for the caller itself so if it's five minutes ten minutes an hour and a half we can be there with, with the caller
2: and uh, and the training that's involved with that michael
8: we have very extensive training. You been talking about six months training before you can get to a call itself. And you're mentored with your call as well.
2: Mhm. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a very very important service. Um do you want to tell us uh, about this seminar that's coming up in the Crown Plaza in Dundalk on the 12th of October? Um, Marie, do you want to tell us?
11: Yeah, absolutely no problem. Loud County Council uh, are holding a seminar, as you said, in the Crown and on the 12th of October at 9.30 and it's called Let's Talk About Bereavement from Suicide, a practical guide. So basically it will be a workshop on the language of suicide which I think is very, very important. Helping people to address the topic with care and the attention it needs. I will be um, sharing my experiences of suicide and how it affected me and my family and um there will be a number of counselors on site to help and support there will be a room where there will be guided meditation and a memorial tree to pay tribute to those we have lost um booking is through event uh, sorry eventbrite.ie. and you can also ring the any of the social offices but probably the best one will be 041 980 2854
2: and we'll, um, of course, podcast this interview later on so people can listen back and get all the details. But that's the 12th of October at nine at uh, 930. 9.30. Let's talk about bereavement from suicide, a practical guide. Uh, Marie, how are you and your family now? Um,
11: We have our moments. I suppose the thing I remember, I would say is that there's a part of you never gets over it. Um, um, you do have to learn to make new memories. It's it, it's, it's very, very hard sometimes, special occasions like Chris's birthdays, those mm. type of things. Um, I know, certainly for me as a person, it made me realize what was really important in life. I was uh, suffering from anxiety quite badly myself before he died. And I, I I, could not have done what I'm doing now. I couldn't speak on the radio or anything. I it would have been out of the question for me.
2: Yeah, yeah. So
11: I realised then that what was I was scared of. And um, yeah, it, I think it changed us as, as people.
2: Of course. It did, for the better. Yeah. Of course it did.
11: Um, but it has left its wounds. Um, yes, you do get up and you do what you have to do. And, but those first few years are a nightmare an absolute nightmare for people and um, and I think a lot of it is people don't know how to speak to people. There are things like this seminar will be a way of getting people to open up to feel, you know that they can maybe just share or maybe get realise an awful lot of what they're going through is very normal for the situation they're experiencing.
2: Yeah, they're and just, to, just to, to say it things yeah just to say it, sometimes it's just very important to speak you know and be heard, as you said, so um, I'd like to thank both of you for coming on to the late lunch here to share that story with us. Uh, as I said, we will be podcasting your interview so anyone who wants the information about the uh, seminar on the twelfth of October at nine thirty a m let's talk about bereavement from suicide,'ll be able to get all of the details. Uh, Michael Keelan, who's a Samaritan volunteer and Marie Johnson, one of the keynote speakers at that uh, seminar coming up. Thank you very much for joining us here on the late lunch. thank you you very much indeed take care now bye bye we'll take a break and be back after this you're very welcome back to the late lunch here on LMFM now Dahi Cusack who is the chair of the Tully Allen Men's Shed is on the line Dahi how are you hello how you doing Alison thanks a million for joining us Uh, I'm reading a very distressing post that went up online in relation to your men's shed which you set up in 2016 tell us what happened
4: Uh, basically I was away for the weekend and Martin Lane and myself mostly just tips in around the men's shed. You know, they just check it out. When you go to the local shop, mm. you just call in to see if everything's all right. And we had a good run, to be in fairness. Like, but uh, Martin pulled in on Sunday morning, unfortunately, and he just noticed that things weren't right. And he got out then. The doors were just busted. They couldn't get in. One of the doors, they didn't get into the, what do call the social area, but they got into the probably the area they wanted was the the workshop area and just completely clean the safe every tools we had you know
2: that's shocking that is absolutely yeah, disgusting just going there you? you know no so this uh, is horrendous horrendous like it's yeah. it's not on like just tell our listeners what happens in the men's shed I mean it's a really important part of society yeah well I mean look like,
4: it, 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 to be honest, the COVID now really brought home to the men themselves. Like I mean, you know, we were, we were keeping on touch on the phone during it, but like the men shed it for, you don't even have to be retired. I mean, some lads have come in and they've had injuries and just you know, I mean like a small operation while they're recuperating. You know, the day can be long and you're at home on your own, and you can then play a game of cards or pool, you know. Mm. And it's only the last number of months that we've actually a uh, workshop where we can actually make our own projects and that and you know I mean for people in the community there like the there's flat packs actually we're doing the minute just uh you know I, I think everyone hates putting together flat packs you oh know what god I mean? yeah me
2: so especially that's a,
4: another thing you know what I mean like yeah. they're they just coming for a chat Like I mean mm. we've men there that's uh, at least three of them that, that, that lost their, their, their wives you know what I mean like, and that's a very lonely time and very hard for them to get over you know when they look forward to coming down to the shed and having the banter with the lads and a cup of tea and you know and the crack and it passes the, the day you know what I mean yeah of course it so does it's, it's of like you know, for, oh, for men and that, you know,
2: it's dreadful what's after happening. So, you've about 15 men who use the shanks,
4: 15 men there, yeah. And you see, again, the COVID, we were all plans on, especially the workshop, we need uh, more lads on board, and we couldn't do it because you can't invite lads in that, you know. What I mean, we we're just coming back in small numbers as well, just to, I said, to keep everyone intact and that, you know. But uh, oh, we, we had God. all the big plans. I mean, it's okay saying we'd no alarm and we'd no this that, and the other, but small steps and we were going grand. you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And mm-hmm. unfortunately, just sets us back to to set there again and that. you know what I mean? But we we made the story stuff and the, the men won't. you know what I mean? They won't be wanting. To, they'll row in and the community in Tully Island is just absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't thank the. You know, if I could mention just a few, I know I have much time, but uh, go on. Just Joanne and Lucy Owens who set up a GoFundMe while we were at the door fixing the door Caden McDonald Joanne's husband they're just fabulous it son, the minute they seen the post they were down at the shed within five minutes oh. you know and the community guard Aidan Ryan and just fabulous again you know me like the Councillor Tom Cunning, Joanne the de Bone Declan Power all rode in and promised money for us you know my goodness
2: and, and uh, I actually know Declan Power um, uh, tell me this replacing doors and tools and everything how much is the damage?
4: Well, actually, it's over 5,000 now. We know that for, you know what I mean? We just sort of had a quick lads to walk in there and that, and the doors are... So we even have to upgrade some of the doors, if you know not I mean, like, as well, which, yeah. you know, like, you don't be thinking, to be honest, like, you know what I mean? If it's such a, what do you call it, a small little set as a men's shed, that would be taking over so look at these boys just selling all tools it must be you know Munich. so
2: unfortunately we were in the line of, what do you call it Saturday night you know but I mean somebody was obviously watching the place which is so I think so yeah, a, a, yeah that's just so cruel I mean probably young yes. fellas and thinking now a bit of tools and make a few quid off that like it's just yeah. so cruel exactly.
4: and they don't know the devastation they left behind you know mean because it was upsetting yesterday morning so
2: Oh, Dahi, I'm so sorry to hear yeah. that. Of course it, it is. I get phone
4: calls from the draw the Men's Shed, now the Cooley, Dundalk, Dingle, Blessington, Kilkenny, all them men's sheds are just fabulous oh, to right. give us support, you know, and it's just, you know, I mean, it, that's just keeping us going, I'll be honest with you, you know.
2: Oh, no, it's a it's horrible thing to do because, yeah. uh, you know, there's a men's shed actually quite close to where I live in Dublin and I see them there every single day. Yeah. They've yeah. turned the church gardens into like the hanging gardens of Babylon I've never seen anything <laughs> like it I mean it's incredible yeah. the talent but you've got a whole multitude of talent there of men coming in who all have different experiences one good at one thing another but coming That's together exactly. yeah
6: every
4: every man that comes in that door has something top of the shed of they mightn't think of when they come in but they can change people's lives by just coming in and showing someone something that they will never you know what I mean like, like yeah. we all learn you know what I mean we man one Lee one day did, did, he's done a great job down there and, uh, a log holder there and unbelievable even the, the guard he was impressed they couldn't believe it. they want one I think so he, he might have to make another one of them for them you know yeah
2: and you see you're bringing so, all that you're bringing all that talent out and it's it's strength in numbers but I mean it's also yeah. an invasion of your space where you guys exactly. meet and yeah. that's that's horrible that someone it went in horrible, and yeah. trampled all over your space
4: yeah definitely now so we'll have to do something a bit special tomorrow we'll have to get some nice cakes in or something just to get boost everyone tomorrow You know. yeah
2: and it's lovely it's a lovely thought as well you know but uh, so tell us there's a Go, GoFundMe page
4: yeah there's a GoFundMe page up now and what do you call it uh, some of the what do you call the uh, Tony Coffee, their Ballygorman contracts I'll just name a few if you don't mind of course Niall Russell Cahy uh, from Malone's and Drawharder, Jerry and Wogan's it's unbelievable I'm not kidding you like I'll thank them all on our, on our page on our Facebook page yeah. but Just Stuart Hall, he's our main sponsor. He was he landed over there yes as well, and you know I mean the promises is unbelievable, you know. Yeah. So yeah. you know, it's just great to have support there. Do you know what I mean? Like it's to t- t- to rebuild. It's just fabulous, you know.
2: Yeah, and you know what? I, no luck will come to the talks. Oh, who completely. Did this. Now uh, there
4: was a few things people said. They hope to cut themselves, with the saws, all this, and I wouldn't go that far myself. But then of again, course. I don't know um, what words am I to my on there. Uh, scumbags <laughs> or low life, well, whatever. That's it is. It was the most popular ones, though. I call yeah. It, you know. yeah, it and was it was worse.
2: But <laughs> and go ahead and say them because uh, only low lives do something. Like that. It's exactly. a place for people no. to meet and do good things. And someone exactly. came in and, and trampled all over that. But you know what? You'll come back flying. You see now that people are jumping in to give you a hand, and you'll be back stronger, better than ever.
4: Yeah, and if I could just say, I don't have time, just make a quick appeal to people to stop going to these markets and buying these tools that they're, they're not gone tools. Buy them in Wogan's and Chadwick's and Dublin providers, and you know what, Droggan providers, sorry, and you know what I mean, like don't be giving them, because if there, if there wasn't a market up there, there wouldn't be. Uh, reef in the place like the men's shed and people's garages and sheds you know what I mean like very
2: good point a very good that's point it, sure. well look we wish you the very best of luck come back and tell us how you're getting on and uh, you'll come back bigger and better than ever Yeah. thanks for thanks joining us Alice, no problem well, well
4: done your gold medal yourself and Jerry, just to get that in alright thanks
2: very much I'll pass oh, that on that's Q's Cusack there Chair of the Tully Allen Men's Shed on uh, fighting back after being be robbed. Welcome back to The Late Lunch here on LMFM. Now, we were talking about container homes and how they have become all the new rage. It was cabin homes, but now it's container homes. And to tell us more is Bernie Moore from GTL Container Homes, a loud company selling two-bed container homes. You're very welcome along to The Late Lunch. Bernie, how are you? Hi,
5: oh, I'm good. Thanks very much for having me.
2: These are incredible looking And they are a container. Tell us more.
5: Yeah, Yeah, they are. So we, um, well, James is the master builder. So he's been building homes for over 40 years. Um, He's probably had an idea in his head for 30 years to actually build container homes. He's probably ahead of of himself by quite a while. Yeah. Um, He built his own container home that was a two bedroom. And then with family coming back last year because of the pandemic, um, added another bedroom. And then we just started talking about we were talked initially about going back to New Zealand. Um, you can tell I'm Irish, mm-hmm. um, and just with the pandemic, we decided to stay. And we thought, what about trying the container homes here and seeing if there's an interest for it? Because they are quite popular in New Zealand. Yeah, and just the idea took off. We started. We thought we'd build a couple and see what happens. And mm-hmm. and we've been rolling since April. So all
2: good so far. And and they're very popular.
5: Yeah, well, they're very popular. We have a lot of interest. So we've got an open home in a couple of weeks. Um, we're not taking firm orders till then. Mm-hmm. But we, we've been, um, we've probably met a half a dozen customers, been out of sight. We're at a very um, good commitment stage um, and just hoping to get the signed commitment the weekend of the, um, the open home.
2: Well, you see, I would think now, because I live beside Dublin Port, so I'm thinking freezing cold. But it describe them to us, because they look gorgeous.
5: Yeah, so on the outside, they look like a box. They look like a container, and we like that industrial. It's had a life before. It's almost at its end of life, and it's been turned into, um, like, a a warm one-bedroom apartment. So it's fully insulated. We have, like, 270 mil insulation in the ceilings, and then we put in plywood. So we're almost turning the original floor on its head by putting in um, marine ply and glossing it and making it look quite a standout feature. The walls are insulated. Um, it's got gas central heating. So there's really good, you know, um, radiators in all of the rooms. So stand up radiators in the bathroom and kitchens and then under window radiators in the other room.
2: And how um, much very how, warm. how much are all these costing now, Bernie, in and around? Like where do they, what's the starting price?
5: Well, so the starting price for a one bedroom, which is a converted uh, 40 foot is 59,950. And that is fully, it's turnkey. So... Everything is included. Your bed is made, your kettle and toaster, high-end crockery like Villaroy and Box. So we're going high-end, one-bedroom apartment.
2: Oh, I didn't realise now that they're turnkey, uh, that you you kit them out.
5: Yeah, because of the size of the container, we've had to do a lot of research on the best use of space, maximising space. Mm. So like we've got a sofa bed that will fit the space exactly. We've got an island in the one-bedroom, you know, with high benches so it's just everything's been measured to the nth degree
2: they're gorgeous they look absolutely gorgeous and very very homely um so can i ask you then what's the difference between that and a cabin
5: um well the cabins are i suppose that just a different style of living the cabins are wood on the outside the insulation would be different cabin would need uh, flooring and is usually on a concrete floor whereas the containers are they're classed as movable so they're on screw pile foundations that don't leave any big blot on the landscape if you wanted to move them at a later stage. Um, and, and it's just a different style of living. Oh so yeah,
2: of course you can move them. I never thought of that. Tell yeah. me this, um, planning permission. What's the story with that?
5: Yeah, well, so for the 40 foot, they're planning exempt. They're under 30 square metres. And for the larger ones, um, I'll have to be honest and say, the customers that we're looking at are in rural properties. So... Um, they're, they're looking at putting them in places that, you know, wouldn't be obvious to planners. So um, I suppose you have to try and trailblaze. In New Zealand, people trailblazed and put them on properties. And then the planning laws change to suit and to, to come up to stage with the, um, with the need for housing. You see, every so, county
2: differs now with, with planning, yeah. planning permission, but it is something they are clamping down on. But as you said, you can move these around, which is a yeah. real draw.
5: Yeah, they're temporary structures, so they can be moved, so they're classed as temporary, but we're building them for long term living conditions. So I d I don't
2: know how, I don't know how many people have often said, I don't want to move. I'd love to just be able to lift this house up and take it with me and now you can. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> Brilliant stuff, Bernie. Look, they're they're gorgeous. So where can people find you? Um, well they can find us. We're on Instagram at the moment
5: and we seem to be getting like we've got over eight hundred um followers since the weekend, since the article. Um, so they can find us on Instagram. So the handle is at GTL Container Homes. And then people are DMing us. We're sending them at the detail specs by email. So um, if people Instagram, like DM us on Instagram, follow us and ask, and we can send them specs, details. And then we've been doing site visits over the weekends and evenings. So we
2: take it from there. Brilliant stuff. Bernie Moore from GTL Container Homes. Thanks very much for joining us on The Late Lunch. Lovely. Thanks very much for your time. Wow, I'm going to have to check out that Instagram page. OK, well, that's it for today. And I'm done. Jerry's back tomorrow. The gold winner, <laughs> along with Louise. I'm sure he'll, he'll be telling you all about it. And uh, thanks very much to all our guests on The Late Lunch today and to all of you for listening. Take care.
8: Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewellery from Blue Nile.